Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Hello and welcome to the Throw In Independent.ie's GA podcast. I'm Will Slattery and we have another action packed show lined up for you today. In just a moment, we'll chat to Brendan Cummins as we look back at Tipperary versus Galway's titanic tussle in the All-Ireland Hurling semi-final. And a little later, we'll be joined by Alan Brogan to discuss all the weekend's football action. But first, I'm joined in studio by Rory O'Connor of Rory Stories, Dunica Boyle of the Irish Independent, and Conor McKeown of the Herald. Well, Conor, you're obviously looking forward to the third leg of a mouth-watering trilogy between Galway and Tipperary. Quality-wise, maybe it didn't hit the heights of the other two, but in terms of drama, this one really probably hit the peak. I did. It was it was one of those games where, I mean, I honestly thought it was won when Joe Canning uh, got the free. Uh, I thought Tipperary had levelled it when Mickey Cattle went through at the end, and even when Joe got the pass back from Johnny Cohen um, for the ball over the side, and just didn't see him even squeezing a shot away, let let alone putting it through the post. So now it was one of those games. Unfortunately. You know, they're probably all too rare, but for the last few years, the All-Ireland semi-finals have been absolutely magic, and I think that one was very much in keeping with the team. Yeah, Dunica, it was almost a microcosm of Joe Canning's entire career in 70 minutes. There was unbelievable highs, there was miracle shots, there were a couple of moments where he got questions from the crowd, you know, is he as good as people think he is? But at the end of the day, he hit this absolute Hail Mary of a point that'll probably be the defining shot of his career. Yeah, but he's, he, as he said himself in the interview on, on in the Indo at the weekend, like he has always been judged by different standards. And I think the, the different thing is now, like he's always pulled out big moments, like he's a big player. So he's going to he's going to miss a couple of those. He referenced himself in the interview afterwards. But I think the difference now is that he has a really good team around him, like a good, well-balanced, mature team that doesn't depend on him. Uh, in, entirely to win things, to win games and stuff like that. So that was the difference. But yeah, come at the hour, come at the man. As Connor says, the, the fact that he squeezed the shot off on a, on a, in itself was pretty dramatic. And I was watching it back afterwards. I was there at, on the day, but I was watching it back afterwards. As the ball's in the air, it ticks over the 74-minute mark. So it, the game is effectively over, like the injury time is up. So it was really like shot clock stuff in basketball. It was incredible. Yeah, Rory, I suppose there is no show like a Joe show, but there were other ca- cast of characters that really stepped up. You know, Mark Grobach and Ernie got man of the match. He was you know, catching pretty much every ball in this direction. Second half, Connor Whelan got this mammoth hook at the end of Michael Cahill. So, as Dunica alluded to there, it was kind of a great personal, you know, maybe vindication for Joe at the end, but he was really helped by some huge performances from his teammates. Yeah, like Dunica said there, like, the, the Galway are finally have a team built 
built, you know, built around Joe, I suppose. Like, if you look at other years, like, Joe, let's be honest, wasn't in the game the first half. And if he wasn't Joe Canning, he could have been taken off at half time, like, if he hadn't got the calibre of, of a man he is. Um, but Galway were still there, thereabouts. Other years, like, if Joe wasn't playing well, they might have fell apart. And that's where other leaders stood up. Like, when have you ever seen uh, Paddy Marr getting completely landed on his hole? Like, he went in, he was the aggressor. He went in to poke Garoud on his arse and bang, get out of my way. You're not doing that this year. You could see there was a bit of a bit of biting Joe, like when he got the yellow card as well. He wasn't going to be, he remembers the day last year when he got put up into the Hogan stand. He remembers that. That's not happened to me today. And just their all round, like it was a good old fashioned hurling, like back forward, back forward, loads of mistakes, loads of, you know, whys, everything else. But it just, it, that's what you want in a game. And we were talking earlier myself, kind of about football. Football's gone. The opposite to that, it's all about cagey and, and patience and uh, tactics and all this. That's shite to watch, let's be honest. Like, where the hurling is still hurling back forward, back forward. And I'm really looking forward to this weekend because I think there's going to be more of it. But I'm delighted for Joe because Joe does get a lot of his, his criticism because he's a, a big-time player. So to have a moment like that, and you know, I think he deserves it at this stage. Yeah, we'll bring in Tipperary legend Brendan Cummins on the line now. Brendan, it's been a couple of days, obviously, since the game. From a Tipperary perspective, how do you view it now uh, in the in the light of day? Is there anything they could have done differently, maybe, to change the result? Well, on a major amount, I think we we always knew it was going to be a real toss for kind, uh, toss for kind stuff. And I think we're all just waiting until it got to the 68, 69th minute to to see when the, the the real winners and losers would would come out in those last couple of minutes of the game. I mean, I think looking back on Tipperary season, the, the the big hole was put in the in the charge in the league final when everything looked to be going okay, and for no reason at all other than Galway were just that more physical on the day and wanted that little bit more. I would suggest that they rolled over Tip and that then started to put the doubts in the head. Cock reinforced that. And then I think McGrine managed it quite well through the rest of the summer. And I think Tipperary played probably the best they did all year, even though they're still a couple of points away from where they were last year and form-wise. But Galway certainly, I think, deserved to squeak it in the end um, on, on Sunday. And, um, you know, and, and tip back to the drawing board again. And the hoodoo of not putting back-to-back is is still unfortunately there. Yeah, Brennan, when you look back towards the league when things were going really well, I remember uh, Henry Shefflin on the Sunday game or the league Sunday mentioned the strength and depth for Tipperary and how it's akin to maybe the Dublin football team. But then you look at Sunday's game, only two substitutions used by Michael Ryan uh, on another blood sub uh, for a couple of minutes. Was was there maybe that strength and depth overblown or do you think maybe Mick could have gone to the bench, maybe introduced some more fresh legs? Yeah, I just think Henry uh, was probably a bit mischievous at that early on in the year, making a statement like that about Tipperary. I just think that that's the big thing now for, for Tipperary next year. I suppose 11 months ago, you'd have said that we had a team and we had, you know, two or three. Remember, Bubbles didn't start against Galway last year. We had to bring him off the bench. Whereas this year, like, it looks like from a goalkeeping point of view, we struggled slightly throughout the year. Our full back line, two of the three have struggled. Seamus Kennedy wasn't, you know, hasn't found the form that he had in last year. So that's four already of your backline midfield. It's certainly Dan McCormick did well there, but you sacrificed a good attack and forward by placing him out there. So it's like one forward spot. So you could say that there's probably five or six places now up for grabs for the tip team. And you wouldn't have thought that 11 months ago. And yes, we all talk about the strength and depth that, that was there. But the very minute the real pressure came on, we had to go back to 14 of the 15 players who started the All-Ireland final last year. And unfortunately, um, on the toss of a kind, they couldn't get the job done this time round. Yeah, Connor, it's interesting. One of the problem areas going into the game was the tip uh, full back line. But they actually held up very well on the day because you would have thought if they were going to lose the game, maybe that would have been the area they would have been exploited in. 
Yeah, well, just on Brendan's point there as well, like, I mean, the, the one player that's not there from last year is Cahill Barrett. And I know we discussed it here before, but like Cahill Barrett, one of the best, best cornerbacks in the country. And, you know, he's the sort of fella that Tipperary could definitely have done with. But, you know, you're talking about the whole trying to retain the All-Ireland thing. And, you know, it's very, very rare that a team retains an All-Ireland in either football or hurling with this exact same team as the previous years. And, and like it, w- it was obvious earlier on this year that Tipperary weren't quite hitting the same form. Um, it was very obvious in the Cork game and it was obvious before that in the Galway game. And they just didn't have... I mean, the one substitute... To choose, they brought on one man of the weekend, Jason Ford, and they took him off. Um, so, you know, they, they, they didn't have, you know, the element of the unknown this year. Like last year, they won the All-Ireland um, and they had Ronan Maher who had come, you know, he was a revelation for them, you know. McCormick was a re- revelation for them. So was Seamus Kennedy. But they were all they were all kind of surprise elements to the Tipperary team last year. And I think that's partly why they won the All Ireland. That they had fellas to bring in, the people weren't necessarily expecting to have to play against. Whereas, and John McGrath was another fella. Obviously, was a huge revelation for them last year. But you know. <clears throat> As good as they are, as really, bal- and I'm just looking at the team sheet here. I mean, that's an incredible forward line that they possess. But you know, the problem with it is, it's not that you'd go stale. It's just I think that opposition tend to do their homework on you. And you look at Galway, and I know there was only a point in it, so you know, it's very easy to say this afterwards. But like Galway have really progressed as a team. They've got an awful lot more balance in their forward line. You just look at a fellow like Connor Whelan, who has had an incredible season for them. But the big thing that we used to talk about Galway was always that number three and number six were problem positions. Like the amount of Managers that have the number of managers that have tried so many different things there, but uh, you know in Dahi Bork and Garold McInerney now they have that that central spine of their team uh, and they look very very solid all through it. Yeah, Jonica, the performance of Dahi Burke was particularly noteworthy. I guess like Seamus Callan, I think hit two or three points from play, but two of them came after Burke had already blocked them down once, and Callan needed to use every kind of inch of his creativity to be able to get that ball over the bar. He's really he really did a good job, McCallan. I thought on the day. Yeah, he did, but I suppose Callanan has been playing so well for the last three years. He's nominated for Hurler of the Year three times in a row. So, you know, again, Tipperary couldn't realistically ask him to keep playing like that and keep deliver- delivering at the level he had. Now, Dahi Burke was very good, as Connor says, like Garage McInerney. Now, I do think Tipperary, to a point, sort of played into his hands a little bit. So it's dropped an awful lot of ball down on top of him, and he's an absolute monster of a man, like a lot of the goal rollers. It's a huge team. Mm. huge team. I think when they brought on Johnny Glenn, I looked down and I was just thinking, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a, a physically bigger team. And I know that doesn't necessarily make them a great hurling team, but you saw what they did physically to... Um, what they did physically to Wexford in the Leinster final, and you know they did a, a similar enough job to to Tipperary at the weekend. Well, the not the t- three t- big shoulders of the game were all Galway men and Tipman. You know, yeah. Joe Canning. You know, I think Rob McInerney got one, and there was one other one that was just kind of explosive yeah. hits to put Tipman on the rush. Like a really, really good forward who always had great energy and kind of runs aggressively. He looks. Mo- I don't know whether it's just you know. He looks like filled out. He looks like Connor Whelan. Looks like every single Connor Whelan only twenty. Like he just physically everything. But even Johnny Glynn, I don't think got much credit for. I thought he was very good in the yeah. command because he had, goals, yeah, he was. He, he's no fear. Like so remember his interview there last year. He's an honest lad. He's not one of these media-driven nowadays GA players afraid. He gives his opinion, and you can see it in the command. He's like, I'm going to get on the ball, and I'm just going to drive at these. I've no. I've been in New York having the crack for the last few months. So yeah, I think he won a football championship from right with Money in there uh, when he was over there. So he has that bit of energy he brought on. He wasn't afraid to take on his man. He just went for it. So I think. 
John, he's another great option. I don't think he'll start the next day, but it's great having the likes of him. Big lad with no fear coming on the game like that where it is so tense and just, as you say, setting up two goals. Yeah. Like, so he's a big... It was, it was like the opposite of the 2010 football final. If you remember when Down were bringing fellas on and they seemed to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller, <laughs> the lads were bringing on. The Galway boys were coming on. They were getting bigger and bigger yeah, and bigger and they were replacing right. big lads as the were. Like, yeah, just actually on that as well, it's a, it, it is a fair point to say that Tip didn't bring anything majorly different this year. I just thought that Tipperary were very predictable in a lot of what we're doing. The wing-backs get the ball and they fork it 100 yards in top of Jamie Callan. And Callan knows that the ball is coming long and that's the only way it's going to be. So, if you remember the All-Ireland final against Kilkenny when we didn't hit in high ball in front of JJ, he made runs 20 yards right, 20 yards left at angles and got onto a nice ball to keep him in the game. But on Sunday, he just seemed to run into the edge of the square and stand there. And he just thought, if I make a run left or right here, the boys aren't going to look up. I think we need to go back a little bit to the style that Eamon O'Shea brought. Now, there is a balance to be struck, obviously, but I think Brendan Maher has lost a little bit of his edge with Tipperary because he's like in the fell in the middle of a tennis match, watch the ball going over and back over his head. Mm. Whereas if Tip played through people like him and he's given responsibility like a quarterback, to play a ball in in front of our full forward line, then suddenly I think Tipperary will have a, a different proposition for 2018 Championship and I think that's where, where it needs to go for this team to progress. Is, is, there, is there an argument, Brendan, to be made for... I mean, that, that full forward line, when you look at it on paper, John McGrath, Jamie Callan and Bubbles, like they, they absolutely have everything when they get on the ball. But like I remember last year in the semi-final when like the, the, the move of the game for Tipperary was actually moving Shamey Callan into the corner and putting John McGrath at full forward because Callan, uh, Dahi Bourke had been on top of him all day long. Like was the, you know, is there an argument to be made for feeding them in a different way or even aligning them in a different way so that, that they can be more influential? Because Bubbles did something every time he touched the ball. He just didn't seem to touch the ball enough even over the course of the season. And John McGrath, I mean, I don't know... I'd love to look at his goal to game ratio over the course of the league, including the league, it's or the course of the year, including the league. It's been absolutely phenomenal. So I just wonder whether those players are getting enough of the ball, and whether Brendan, I suppose, feels that there's a more efficient way to to feed them. Well, there is. I mean, that like there's no doubt that the very forward line that worked best when the ball is on the deck, and the second when they win second phase possession against Clare below and Parky Keys, there's a huge amount of damage on getting second phase ball and then whirling it around the place and getting into a flow. But the problem always been even in my time was how do you get the ball to stick up there for that second or two to allow these guys to get it? So the ball has to hit the deck. For me, I think the Galway forward line rotated when Johnny Glynn came in. He went in corner forward. That brought Paddy Mar out of the half back line. Joe went over then on Kennedy, and they remember that Joe scored those two points over in that wing. You know, so I mean, Galway rotated to break your right stayed very rigid. But I think what's happened is that we've relied so much on twelve or on thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen to dig us out of a hole. We've left them close to goal because look, we'll just keep fucking it in, and the law of averages says that will something will work out. But when you meet a team as big as Dahi Burke and McInerney and these lads, you know, when a high ball comes in, it's like feeding biscuits to a bear for all the world. They just keep mopping it up and they keep firing it back out and everyone loses a bit of confidence then. So yeah, the style of play I think next year will have to change and we'll have to use Brendan Maher, I think, an awful lot more uh, in the way, we, in, in through that middle third of the pitch, which will give us a bit of variety and will also give a bit more movement to the forwards. Um, but again, Bonner Maher didn't really perform um, on Sunday and he's been the one I think that's 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 made this forward line tick he's the one who's got the ball to ground and brought others into the game and when he was taken out of it on Sunday 
Tipperary it looked like we were lost for what we were going to do next yeah don't get Brendan's answer there about Tip maybe being very rigid in the way they went about their attack and that's kind of at odds with what Galway did in, in rotating do you, what do you think about the job Michal done who's done on the sideline he's quite a you know reserved character so maybe we don't know much about him personally or he doesn't get maybe as much coverage as some of the other high profile managers do you think he's done a very good job tactically with the team um, well, I think he's done a good job in so far as that he's realised that he has a lot of the raw ingredients there and that he just kind of has to let them, just bring them along. I don't think he had to do anything necessarily nuclear with them. Like, if you look at the team, like a lot of them, like I would say basically all of them probably were involved at 15 and a lot of them were involved in 12 as well. So, like, they have they have the right age profile to have the necessary experience. And I think he was smart enough to realise that, look, I have I have the basis of it here. And I just need to try and coax it out of him. And look, he's been very clever. He got uh, Johnny Glynn, got back into the team. Uh, like Shane Maloney has made a bit of a name for himself as an impact sub, but he was very talented on the Rage player. Um, so he, he's got him involved as well. And you still, like they brought on Jason Flynn, who a couple of years ago we were talking about, Jesus, this, guy, this guy's got it all. And he's on the bench room at the minute. So now I think, I think he, he had the smarts to know that all I need to do here is just keep the, keep the ship straight and we've got a really good chance. And that's what he's done. Yeah, just sorry, um, Brendan. I just want to ask your opinion there. Um, obviously, you're on the Twitter. The Sunday game got a fair pace, and over not having Big Joe in the nomination for man the match. Um, now, personally, I don't think he was man the match myself. I think Gerald McInerney was the most outstanding throughout seventy minutes. But like Ev- Joe Canning was on everyone's lips, leaving Crow Park. You know, on Twitter, all that. He he for twenty minutes, or even the, his three scores were like people are forgetting how good his two scores were before the winner. They were miles out the field, pinged him over the bar, got the long range free. Was there a good bit of debate among yourselves on the Sunday game, be- leaving leaving Joe out of the top three, or what way did you master that? Yeah, there was. But I suppose when the game was so tight, uh, you you would always look for one temporary player. I think because um, Tipperary could have won the game by a point as quick as Galway, so we we would have felt that Paddy Mar having contributed two points would have been would have been good enough for uh, for Tipperary, I suppose, to have set up uh, their opportunity of winning. Uh, then it came down. I think if if Galway lost the game by a point or two, right? Look at it that way for a second. If Galway lost the game by a point, the narrative would have been Joe missed the freeze. And that he was disappeared in the first half of the game. Now, of course, he scored the last five points. He scored two from play and three frees. But that's kind of, I think, the way we were looking at it. The overall piece that Conor Whelan inside was a constant threat. He scored four points in play. Anytime he got in possession of the ball, he was always, always a threat. So we looked at it over the full 70 minutes. But you're right, if you're looking at it over the last 10 minutes of the game, you'd say, yeah, Joe should be nominated. But I think the decision we made in trying to separate it was we looked at it from minute one to minute 75 and a half, as it turned out. And we just felt, I suppose, that, that Conor Whelan was uh, over the full piece like that would have uh, would have affected the game over yeah, the no, full it, period rather than just flashes like. I suppose it, it, the way to look at it, like I, I suppose from a Sunday game point of view, is for 35, probably 40 minutes, Joe was, wasn't in the game whatsoever. And like I said earlier, if he wasn't Joe Canning, he probably would have got the line. But... I suppose it just shows the, the big occasion, big man stands up. Like, we'll just said, I get your opinion up because there was an awful lot of abuse going towards what he yeah, get I mean, in, you know? I'm delighted to get out there because in fairness to Joe, like, I mean, he's, he's box office. Whatever he does is something goes into a coaching video, right? It's as simple as that. But then there's other times in a game where it drifts and I just felt the free, like a couple of frees in the first half didn't really work out. Like, I mean, there was definitely a hum around the stadium of, oh, God, Joe's not turning up today. And everyone was really anxious. So, again, I just think that all the people are saying, yeah, he, he could, it's a hair's breath to be nominated, right? Um, 
But at the same time, if Galway lost that game by a point, all the eyes would be on Joe's first half display and then we'd have a different narrative. I think the eyes are on Joe anyway. Not the thing. No matter what happens, like good or bad, he's the lightning rod for that squad. Like no matter like if he if they win the All Ireland, you know, we'll all be talking about one of the greatest has got has finally got his medal. Yeah. If they lose, it'll be like Jesus. Will he ever get one? No, no matter what happens, it's it's about Joe really. Yeah, Brendan. I also be interested to get your opinion on the Adrian Tui incident because even the fact that the, that you guys highlighted it when it was kind of de- not dealt, the referee decided not to deal with it or it wasn't seen at the time. What was the thought process there in, in kind of highlighting it? Because now he's kind of in the dock over it. No, well, it's not really. I think I think what happened was if you're from Watford and um, you're looking into this game and you're saying to yourself, well, everyone highlights tied to Burke's incident. Now, one second, the same type of incident happened where there was interference with the helmet. I don't think there was any agenda, certainly by myself, Gerald Lachnan or, or Jackie Terrell on the, on the show that night to say, hey, show us something there that went wrong so we can get a fella suspended. I think it was only in the, in the, in the midst of fair play that it had come out that, look, this is after happening. During the game itself, it had been highlighted. Bonner Mar was jumping up and down as well. So we felt it was part of the of part of what happened in the game. But if you, we, I think we we tried as hurling people to make sure that we did include Ty Deborka. Well, certainly I did in my reply to say, look, I don't think it is fair that Ty Deborka missed out in All Ireland semi final. Nor do I think it would be fair that Adrian Tuhi missed out in an All Ireland final. I don't think either player were really intentionally pulling to drag the helmet off somebody. I just think it's something that happened in the course of the play. And like I said, there's a precedent that's been set here now that any guy interfering with the helmet has to get a red card. I don't really agree with it unless it's real looking in the eye and pulling them down. We had one early in the year. I think it was Shane Bennett pulled a, a helmet of a Cork player. Yeah, straightforward enough. Looked him in the eye, cut the face guard. Red, fair enough. Um, but not the way these incidents are happening now. And I think we're trying not to dampen it down but there's no harm to highlight and also take into account I think the tight of Burke finds himself in a big hole this week not knowing whether he can play in Ireland he'll hardly get done though too he though do you think in your own opinion Brendan like if he does like Jesus Christ like you know yeah I don't think he I don't I don't think he will and I, I, I hope he doesn't um, because he just put his hand behind his back but if you don't deal with these things if they pop up on social media guys you know that yeah. as well as I do and they'll say oh was never dealt with it yeah. and then you've every amateur in the country throwing a guy over the coals so like I think the other night what we tried to do was to highlight it give a hurling person's perspective on it and hope that everybody moves on and the chap doesn't yeah. get suspended We're hypersensitive I think to the analysis and particularly the Sunday game obviously it sets agendas and all that but I just think that throughout the summer in hurling and football there's just been such sensitivity around the things that war or war not shown it's an analysis show it's a highlight show by definition to have to talk about things and someone's going to have to make editorial decisions I don't think there's any big like you know shadowy figure in the background pulling the strings no. here to get things done or and not I know getting somebody, done I, I know somebody from probably every county in Ireland who believes that every newspaper or the Sunday game has it in for their own county like if you're highlighting an incident and there's nothing wrong then by definition you shouldn't have a problem with it you know? yeah yeah but, no uh, we're just like it, we're like we're here we're analysing the analysis like Jesus Christ <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, but you see this all like in fairness this all stems from the, the dear McConnelly blow up and I think it's been a, a cause that football hasn't had an awful lot to talk about. Now, we, we're going into a really exciting period in the football championship. So then what happened was you had an awful lot of pundits talked about pundits about pundits. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and then it, that becomes the, the show rather than the actual happens on the, what happens on the But it even, it even predates Conley, doesn't it? Like, I just always think people just, if they hear something they don't like on the Sunday game, it's just like, ah, it's like wailing and gnashing of teeth, like, you know. Well, I don't think Twitter helps either, you know. We don't watch the Sunday game anymore. We watch Twitter while we have the Sunday game going on in the background to see yeah. who's losing their marbles What's the most. The, yeah, well, it's entertaining, isn't it? Now, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for hurling this week, guys. Thanks very much for joining us, Brendan.
No problem. So Rory, last weekend I cut short a holiday in West Cork to come back to watch the football quarterfinals, hoping for two good games. Tyrone Armagh, the great rivalry. By the time I got to the ground, that game was already over, one five to no score, and I pretty quickly regretted my decision. It was a it was a bad weekend for football as a whole, even though for Dublin fans, Tyrone fans, and Mayo fans, they're pretty happy. Yeah, like it, we were saying earlier, like you look forward to the bank holiday weekend all the time in, in August because you know it's going to be a couple of great games, but it really was terrible. Like, and like Monaghan, especially against the Dubs and Armagh, like Armagh Tyrone, I, I wasn't overly surprised because it is Division One against Division Three at the end of the day. Um, you know, they they just, oh my God, they, they just set up terribly. Like their keeper, Blaine News, God love me, the great game against Clare, but there was so much pressure being put on him. He didn't know where to go with the kickouts. That was the biggest, so it was obvious thing. Um, but Tyrone just showed their class, like they really did. Like you can you can only analyse these games so much, in my point of view. Um, it's it's down to the to the meaty stuff now. Tyrone and Dublin, I think uh, Alan was saying there on Twitter last night, that it is going to be a Darrow game. We were saying, will there even be a, uh, kick out contested in midfield it's hard to see it but um, I'm glad to be honest with you I watched um, them, that double header at home on the couch with a cup of tea rather than being in there and spending 45 euro to watch that muck yeah yeah Alan last week when we were speaking to you it didn't sound overly hopeful that Monaghan would put it up to Dublin but I think a lot of people were maybe surprised at just how the game developed like 9 points to 1 after about 20 minutes how do you assess Dublin after that because they really weren't tested even by another Division 1 team no, I think it's very difficult and like the game was like after ten or fifteen minutes you could see the you could definitely see the writing on the wall for Monaghan. And I was surprised though, like Monaghan have been very competitive the last few years and even we played them in two thousand and two thousand and fourteen, I think, and they, like they were competitive that day until I think Derma got a goal towards the end of the first half. But um like I expected more from them and they they, they like in fairness to Monaghan they're a game you outfit, they generally set up really well and I thought I thought they had a chance of for frustrating Dublin as I said I never thought they'd beat Dublin but I thought they had a chance of frustrating Dublin to 45-50 minutes and maybe the Dublin subs would would, would, would pull away down but um, yes, look, I think Dublin Dublin were impressive without doing anything spectacular like they they operated in second and third gear for most of the game I think similar to similar to a couple of the other games and I think probably the probably the performance of the weekend went to Mayo I think like even though it was a bit of a cricket score I think some of their play they, they answered well, I wouldn't say they answered critics, but they certainly uh, put a few people back in their box and like some of their some of their football was sensational. Yeah, Connor, would you say it was a case of Monaghan setting up poorly, Dublin just being a far superior team? How would you kind of rate that whole game? Yeah, a bit of both. I think Monaghan, you know, people will always criticise teams for not having very much ambition when it comes to attacking. But I mean, I didn't think Monaghan had any ambition when it came to defending either. They, I mean, they didn't have a go, okay, fine, concede the kick out, I understand that. But they didn't press the ball carrier. They didn't make any attempt to take the ball off a Dublin player until such time as they had set up, you know, around their 50-yard or 60-yard line. Uh, and that's old hat to Dublin. Like, that's just, they've been playing this system. Remember the Donegal game last year? They've been playing against this all the time. And they'll keep the ball and they'll play 25, 26 passes and they'll try and stretch the cover. And eventually, James McCarthy or Jack McCaffrey or somebody will get in behind and they'll just pick you off. Um, they, you know, they, they chose the wrong man up front as well. Like, Conor McCarthy came off the bench. Jack McCarran had an awful game. An awful How game. could they not start McCarthy, though? Yeah, yeah it makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, and now, having said it, McCarran had a good goal chance that Stephen Cluxon saved as well. Um, and I think by occupying two Dublin defenders, that was probably the only move that they got right by, by, by starting two up front. But they started the wrong man up front. And, um, 
you know, whoever's going to beat Dublin, and, uh, you know, you expect Tyrone to bring something completely different to the equation. Maybe not having a go at the kickouts, but definitely, you know, making sure that Dublin can't just leisurely stroll the ball up to the opposition's 45, because when you give them possession, um, they just have all the moves when they get to there. I mean, th- you can imagine they're running this play and training every single night of the week. Uh, and Monaghan, a little bit like Galway against Kerry, brought absolutely nothing of any great surprise to the to the equation. And, and, and that's just... Dublin will win that game 10 times out of 10. They have to play with a kind of a bit of a fury and a bit of an edge to them, be a bit narky, Monaghan. I think that's when they're at their best and that's when they, when they turn it into a bit of a battle, then I think they can they can really stick it to the good teams. But I kind of think afterwards, Malachi O'Rourke sort of hinted at it. He said, look, for us to survive in Division 1, we have to play all our best players all the time. So when Monaghan brought Dublin pretty close and Clonus back in April... You know, they had basically their best team that they had in the pitch. Dublin were back at least a month later than them. They hadn't got everyone available. They brought three footballer of the years off the bench in the last fifteen minutes. Well, and that's that's the difference. Like, you know, so they for them to survive in division one, they have to probably expend a lot more energy. So when they get to the August Bank all the weekend. It's true, but they still could have done better than that on Saturday. That's you know, the underlying point. I don't have a problem they, with They are better than that, but I don't have a problem with Monaghan losing the game. I don't have a problem even with them, you know, losing by a big cricket. I just think that they're capable of much better than that as a team. Yeah, watching yeah. these quarterfinals, is it a case of these teams are actually incapable of competing against these top four? Or was it a case of these... As, as Dorgan mentioned there, I remember playing challenges against Monaghan back in back in Pillar Cassidy's days. And they probably hadn't got the footballers then that they do now. How they went up and made at a higher level. And they said, we've baited lumps out over some friendlies. Like, there was a couple of friendlies abandoned, I remember, in in in, in, uh, in um, St. Anne's because the rails in the... You, you, like... I wouldn't say Monaghan were, were, were two plus of the weekend because it is difficult to play against Dublin and Crow Park. And Dublin are so, as, as Connor said, Dublin are so used to playing against that sort of defensive system. They've been practicing it since since Donegal 2014, and um, it's for the likes of the next day against Tyrone that they've been practicing it. But I, I just thought there was, like, there didn't look to be any passion. There was no fight in Monaghan at all. Now maybe the sting was taken them out was taken out of them quickly with the with the early scores. But but uh, I was surprised by them to be honest with you, and. and like similar in the other games, like seeing us comments, as we always say, that that, that our, our the weaker team only gets only gets one bite of the cherry, and that that definitely. To prove the case in point yesterday. There's, there's a psychological block with playing Dublin now. I think I think we're seeing that because they've been so dominant for so long. I think that you know Monaghan just probably didn't really believe that they could they could lick, stay stay with them. And when they went, they got the first five or six points. It's just sort of like, Jesus Christ, we've another 60, 60 odd minutes of this before before we go home. Like even see it. I, I think it's the same. What people get through one on one with Cluxton now. I think Daniel Flynn against most other keepers would score that goal in the Leinster final I think Jack McCarron would score um, against a lot of other keepers as well but they just realised it it's a little bit like like I mean I know they haven't won quite as much but I mean there were teams that you watched around 2008 2011 12 playing Kilkenny that were beaten as soon as the ball was thrown in you could tell by their body language that they didn't believe it and I think Tyrone will be the first team that Dublin played this summer that will actually come down fully believing that they can win the game yeah, I'll be interested to get your take. So you mentioned that other time you guys played Monaghan in the quarterfinal a few years back. And just watching Dublin attack over the weekend, it, it, it's such a different team to what Dublin looked like before that Donegal loss. Like, How much work goes in in training to that kind of recycling of the ball, using the wings? D- does Jim Gavin do a lot of drills and his coaching team do a lot of drills to kind of fine-tune that attacking structure? After Donegal beat in 2014, Jim, became, Jim kind of became obsessed with playing against this style of play. And... and, and like he knows if if somebody wants to take Dublin on in a shootout more often than nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, the Dublin team. But then somebody sets up like that, he knows that's when the that 
problems are going to be caused. So yeah, yeah, it is something that they've they've worked on relentlessly in training. And I know something Jim Gavin and his management team have discussed at great lengths in front of videos and in in, in meeting rooms over the last couple of years. And and but I think this Tyrone team the next day is the first time we're going to really really see someone that 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 may be able to contain Dublin, but might also be able to hit them on the break and really compete with them on the scoreboard. And that's a might. I'm not saying they definitely will. It's a might. Um, like, Tyrone looks strong at the weekend, but then where where are Amar really at? So we're still not sure exactly where Tyrone are. I know David Brady said last week he didn't think they were in the top three. I, I certainly think they're in the top three. And it's actually a game I've been looking forward to for a couple of years, seeing this Tyrone team play against Dublin. Um, I know last year Tyrone probably underachieved a little bit, but they've added that attacking element to their game this year, and it's it's like it's a game I have been looking forward to for a couple of years, and I think lots of neutrals around the country will 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 really relish to see what will happen. Not that it's going to be a great game because it's not, because um, I think Tyrone will concede the kickouts. Um, I think they let Dublin attack them to the to the forty five yard line, and then they'll meet them there. And it's really going to be, it's, it's like it's going to be a really, really dogged affair. And it's going to be can can Dublin get through that rear guard that 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 Toronto are going to set up. Yeah, Connor, it's interesting that Alan referred to how he's been looking forward to this game for years because you were saying earlier you talked to uh, Ryan McManaman and he said Mickey Hart's been preparing for this for years. They've kind of had a rivalry from afar because everyone used to always say, oh, Tyrone could be the team set up well to beat Dublin. So it's kind of actually been building. Well, if you look at the league games over the last few years, they've, they've, I think since Jim Gavin came in, uh, Tyrone are the only team that has anything like a positive record. I know Dublin have won whatever it is, four out of the five leagues they've played. So by definition, they've won a lot of games. But I think there's been two draws and then a win either side. So, you know, like Mickey Hart is one of these managers. Like it wasn't too long ago that like himself and Ricey and Conor Gormley were kind of spooking Dublin to a certain degree. And, you know, you'd imagine that whatever Mickey Hart has planned, it you know, there will be an element of the unexpected to it. You know, they were, they're going to need to score a couple of goals, I think, to beat Dublin. Um like it was interesting. I know the lads in the Sunday game highlighted the fact that Dublin played with two sweepers against Monaghan at the weekend, but I don't think they did. I think they actually played very similar to how they played when Pat Gilroy was manager. They just kept their back six in their spots, and 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 I think there was a certain element of what Dublin did against Monaghan was actually in preparation for Tyrone. I think you know the the selection of Eric Lowndes as a wing half forward could possibly either be you know, an easy way to get Dermot Connolly back into the team, but alternatively, it could be with a mind to somebody man-marking Peter Hart um, making those breaks from deep. Because I think if Dublin stop Tyrone scoring goals, they'll, they'll win the game. But um, you know, if Tyrone get a couple of goals and change the energy in Crow Park, um, you know, we could be in for, if not a classic, you know, a, certainly a kind of a, an edgy kind of a thriller. Yeah, do you think Dermot Connolly will come back into the team, Alan? Uh, maybe for Eric Lowndes? Um, I I don't think so. I think he's starting off the bench. I think it, 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 it's like Jim's very much into whoever owns the jersey and is doing well. Um, um, tends to hold on to it. But in fairness, he has made some some uh, like he's put Dermot in before. I mean, not really when he had a suspension. When he had a suspension a couple of last year, um, or in 2015. Sorry, he he, he put him back into the team to 12 there or whatever. So. Um, I don't think he will to be honest with you I think he'll probably stick with something similar to what he has and then he'll he, he have them to come off the bench but he's going to have some interesting decisions to make for the subs the next day because we saw the guys came in at the weekend if he's putting them on as well he's going to have to leave one of them off so it's, there's probably going to be a big name that won't that won't play any part in a in a team on, on a Sunday fortnight 
And Kevin McMenamin didn't even get off the bench last weekend, so Jim really does have a lot of selection headaches, Sonica. Yeah, well, we're back to the strength and depth team again, which we've done sort of ad nauseum at this stage. We know how good they are. We know that they have players on the bench who would walk into pretty much every other team. That's just the... the the place that Dublin football's in at the minute. You sound very. You don't sound very happy about it, don't you? Well, <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's getting harder and harder to say the same thing over and over again, isn't it? But I think though, definitely against Throne, that's like it, it was easy for O'Gara, McCauley, Flynn, Brogan to come on and look unreal against a, a Manning team that wanted to get the hell off the field. Like that's a different caliber. But against Throne. If Toronto are going to beat Dublin, they're going to have to use so much energy for the way they have their game plan. Like Colum, the likes of Colum Cavanaugh as a sweeper, making them 80-yard runs up the field. Yes, if he gets the ball, it's great. You know, he's an opportunity to kick a point. If he doesn't get the ball, he has to go all the way back, which means they're going to be tired with 15 minutes to go. And that's where it's going to come down to McCauley. I thought McCauley did look very fit. Uh, we were talking, I don't think Paul Flynn, from where I've seen him over the years, looked near his best. Like There was one or two balls he gave, he didn't want to go again, he was held back. Um, so I don't know about his fitness size, but O'Gara is still a great option. Bernard himself, like I know he didn't get in the score sheet, but he was dangerous, Like he looked sharp, he just didn't convert the scores. Like A couple of uh, suppose goals he probably would have put away in another day. So that's where I do believe, as always, it's going to come down to their bench. Like you know. It'll be an interesting test of Jeremy Colley's mentality to be dropped back into a Tyrone game where you know they're going to be trying to antagonise him probably more so than any other team, Connor. Yeah, but I I sort of have a feeling that Jim will pick him just because I think Dublin will need those players to score from range, to score from long range. Like, you go back a couple of years ago to that game that Dublin lost against Donegal and Paul Flynn and Derek McConley be, between them kicked eight or nine points from long range. And I think they're going to need those sort of players uh, on Sunday week. Um, and... I think without Paul Flynn and the team, they, they don't have quite as many of those players as they did before. Like, you know, some of these players can get a little bit lost on the inside line just trying to, like, they do a, they do a, a big job in trying to hold men, you know, to drag them out to the wings and make space for everything else. But Dublin are going to need to kick points from well outside the 45-yard line. I think Derm Colley's the, again, the best they that, have on that. Again on that, do you not think it'd be better leaving Conley on the bench? But they have for, a, for, the for problem is you're going to, like, if you don't start one of them, <laughs> like one of them's not going to get to make any impression on the game whatsoever and I think like the initial stages of this game will be made for somebody like Conley who can calm uh, calm the whole thing down for Dublin by kicking long range points now that's pr- provided you know he's fit and he's in good form and everything else but I think I think fellas like Owen O'Gara and fellas like Kevin McManaman are actually more suited to the game when it becomes a little bit more broken up um, so no, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I think that he will start Dermot Connolly. I just think that there's more reasons for him to start Dermot Connolly than just he was out for 12 weeks. Therefore, he, it's up to himself to you know. I think he's one of his boys as well, isn't he? Like if you look at the teams, the gym picks. Like he has a couple of like. I don't think he'd go and hold this without Johnny Cooper. Like he just he <laughs> trusts Johnny Cooper implicitly going back to under twenty one days. Like and he was straight back in. the same nearly. Wouldn't it be at this stage? Like sure, I was surprised he Philly started that Leinster final. Like and he didn't look sharp at all. And like, you know he must be another kind of go to man straight away. Like yeah, and but I, I think Connolly falls into that bracket because like his defense of him was very on gym like you know what I mean he when he, in his media dealings he says as little as possible and says it often um, he'd come out swinging on his behalf I just think he he he, he knows how important he is and how talented he is I think there's something is. symbolic in Dermot Connolly as well like he is one of these players a bit like Cluxon that has like he, he's about more than his abilities like you know I think if he starts uh, you know talking about 
you know, the energy in Crow Park that night or that day. Like, there's going to be an air sellout crowd. I believe there was people queuing up outside Dorset Street today looking for tickets, despite the fact that tickets don't go on sale there <laughs> till tomorrow. Somebody in Crow they Park. They were dubs, obviously, were they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Murphy carried the ride probably him going in, ah, L16, go over. I think there's something symbolic about starting Dermot Connolly, and I think if. You know, when they're calling out the team beforehand and, you know, he hasn't been officially named the team and his name is called out, I just think that'll make it... Jim's not a man for symbolism, symbolism is he? <laughs> he's very, no, he's very... Pra- well, he's the most pragmatic. Coming off the bench. Imagine Crow Park lifting with Dermot yeah, coming on after 40 minutes. And that would be a side blow. I think, like, like there, there's a rivalry there as well, kind of going back to the 08... Um, back to those couple of years. There's not too many guys left playing that... that, that would be privy or were, were that close to that rivalry and Dermot is one of them like Tyrone for me was the, was the even more so than Kerry they were the team that caused us a fair share of heartbreak when we thought we were nearly there and we like we the battle of home so we had a few really um, there was a few league games there that were really really edgy tense affairs and I think like I think we might see a bit of that come uh, come Sunday fortnight as well I think it's going to be as edgy and as tense and as physical a match as we've seen as we've seen all year, and like I think for those reasons, that's why people would be looking forward to it so much. I don't it's think important it's, who refs it as well, isn't it? Like obviously, like you know what I mean. You want to be getting like a ref could easily have a big say in this game because it is going to be right. There's no doubt about it. Like, there is going to be in your face, you know. So, yeah. well, cheers, Alan. Thanks very much for joining us. Don't guys, we've had a few discussions on the podcast over the course of the year about. Maybe can Mayo go back to that running style with that halfback guys bombing through? It clicked perfectly yesterday. They absolutely destroyed uh, Roscommon with so many runs from deep. Is it a signal maybe that they are getting back to their peak, or was it just because Roscommon were so poor? Uh, there's a bit of both in it. Without dodging the question, like the, <laughs> the um, like Mayo, like Keith Higgins was absolutely brilliant yesterday. They played that hard running game with, without Lee Keegan. Um, they seemed to get the balance around the middle really right with um, Donald Vaughan. Uh, Tom Parsons, Seamus O'Shea was very good, and all of them covering a lot of ground that let Aidan O'Shea go off and do the things he's better at, and, you know, sort of bending the game to his will. So um, then the other side of it is that like Roscommon were really poor, and like it's not a nice thing to say, but they look like they just gave up like at one stage. You know, they just stopped. I remember Killian O'Connor uh, passing the ball across the face of the goal, and those two Mayo fellas lining up for a shot at it, and they nearly got in each other's way because uh, Conor Loftus actually kicked it wide then. That was that goal chance. Um, so, no, Mayo definitely, by far and away, their best performance of the year. And it's it's a good thing too, because um, if they had only limped through and were going into Kerry, we'd be looking at one very one-sided semi-final there. And that would mean that the, the whole championship would be distilled into essentially two good games. But now now we've got two really good semi-finals. Yeah, Conor, uh, last week you said, and I actually thought it was a good line, that if Mayo weren't able to win an All-Ireland in 2012 or 2013, why would they be able to win an All-Ireland in 2017, given how maybe the team has aged a bit? But they did look very close to what we've come to you know, expect to see from them. Has it changed your mind maybe? No, of- not really, because I still think to win an All-Ireland... They would have to beat Kerry in either Dublin and Tyrone. And while I wouldn't be surprised if they won, I wouldn't be hugely surprised to beat Kerry, although I'd still you know, still think Kerry are a better team. I, I probably can't see them winning the two. Now, it, it will go down as one of the greatest All-Ireland wins of all time, given the number of games that they played and the identity of the teams they've beaten. But the flip side of that is that, look, if they were good enough to have just a point between themselves and Dublin last October, they can't be rubbish Ten months on, like that, that so they're so they're still at that level, and I just thought their early form kind of betrayed them a small bit. But this is, you know, where the air is thinnest now. This is the last four. I think Mayo are absolutely 
part of that cabal and I think that they will uh, be very competitive with Kerry um, but I just don't think that they're good enough still to beat Kerry like the, the really really efficient running game at the weekend it, was, it seemed like a, I don't know it seemed like a change of attitude as well like they went at the Roscommon kick out it was brilliant um, you know it was really well organised and they did it with a lot of, a lot of energy their defence was really really aggressive you could see the amount of and like crafty you know I mean they were holding Roscommon forwards off the ball the sort of things that the top teams do to beat the smaller teams um, and I just thought we saw a truer reflection of Mayo yesterday than we have done all year Yeah Rory you've been on the kind of Mayo bandwagon even when it looked like it was about to go off road so you must have been feeling somewhat vindicated Yeah I, I'm, I'm delighted um, you know I have stood up for Mayo over the last few weeks on the podcast because exactly what Conor just said there you can't go from being that bad in 10 months there's no hope for and yesterday I was Obviously, I'm a mead man, but I was actually very proud. Like It felt like a male man watching them going, this is exactly what I was thinking is going to happen. They're going to stutter and scramble over the qualifiers, and when it really matters, boom, we're back in business. And that's exactly what happened. I think, again, I think Connor summed up, it's, it's, it's hard to see them win it, but I still believe they have a serious chance of it because all these games, we've already played seven now. Dublin haven't been tested. They will be tested, obviously. Kerry haven't been tested, so get over Kerry first. Kerry haven't met this intensity that Mayo are going to bring. Mayo are mentally very strong after a couple of replays, extra time. O'Shea was back to his best. Higgins was back to his best. Boyle. Lee Keegan wasn't even used. Lee Keegan, like you've seen in the clip in the warm something mediocre wrong. We said he could have used him if he wanted it. He's in reserve. Mayo have 10 days to relax now. I actually hoped he went for a couple of points last night and, and enjoyed themselves and had a few, you know, whatever, just relax in an unbelievable position. I think Kerry are in for an incredible battle. That's going to be the game, like the Tyrone-Dublin game, we know is going to be negativity and all that, but this is going to be a game of football. If Mayo were to get over Kerry and somehow win the All-Ireland, my Jesus, wouldn't every Mayo person deserve this year? As you, It's been the best... Like if you they wouldn't were, put in the team next year, would they? But if you just, I'm packing the bag and I'm gone. As I said before, Casper Westport, I'm gone. But I just, I honestly do believe that the way it's lining up, it could be fair tale stuff. Now, it could be talk to me, yes, I know. But I'm a believer in dreams, and I think if they are to go on, this is the dream year to do like, it the way just, they went through. Just be very lucky. I can see Conor and Onik looking at each other, going, "He's talking to his ass." May I have no hope of being? I was just, just, just expecting a saw doctor song to start. <laughs> <in the background. laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm vouching for me. Well, I really. Well, I just think that if you like, you, you kind of hit it on it there. Like they, they will have to beat two, the two best teams in the country to win it last year. They had to beat one of them essentially, and that drawn match last year, just that feel at the time, even it felt like the big one. Like, um, but yeah, look, they are absolutely they have, they have a really good chance of beating Kerry because of the way they play and they went back to what they used to do. If they can impose that sort of game on Kerry, you saw how vulnerable Kerry were to the running game against Galway. They coughed up three or four really good goal chances. Mayo would get one or two of them, and then but then you have a real game. It's kind of awful though for if you're a Mayo supporter and Rory looks like he's on the verge of it. <laughs> but, but it must be awful now because like you know their seasons never fizzle out. You know what I mean? There's no kind of a and it looked out like at one stage it was going to. So, like, there was no case of, ah, oh, well, sure, look, they weren't up to it. Now they've got themselves back in a position where they're all thinking they're going to win the thing again. And it's either, you know, elation or complete desolation, a complete heartbreak <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the winter. That's, that's all it was going to be anyway. Like, they're, they're only in the business of winning All-Ireland. So there's nothing, like, Kevin McStay hitting it and he says, like, you know, it's grand for us, he said, after the drawing match. He says, like, 
a lot of us in Connacht can win a Connacht title, come out with a bit of credit. Stephen Rashford does that. He's nowhere, like you know. So I bet you the Rossies are would only wish they had been met by a point in the first day because they're only as good as your last game. That's the way yeah, it is. Like does it completely you know? not devalue the Connacht title because it was a great day out. But as a season of, as a whole, they are very poor in the league. Got relegated, took some awful hammerings. They beat Galway and then. Like, that was as abject a display in an Ireland series game as I've ever seen. Yeah, like, you know, you can review your season in any which way, but I suppose your last game will always define you to a certain degree. And I think, despite the fact that at different stages you could be argued that Roscommon and Armagh and Kildare had good seasons and Monaghan to a certain degree as well, you know, they will all be looking back with a heavy sense of regret as to how their, how their seasons ended. I mean, like, like a, a Connacht title is a big deal in Roscommon, but because... Because they have the history that they do, I mean, they do expect bigger things from their team. Um, and while they don't beat Mayo very often, and nobody really expected them to beat Mayo and Crow Park, they were completely destroyed at the weekend. They were completely overran. And it was nearly like the league game against Dublin earlier on in the year. Yeah, it's funny. I was at the game yesterday with a big Kerry fan, and, and at every point Mayo kicked in the second half, his head was in his hands. He was just like, oh, no, oh, no. I was hoping for two weeks of peace. Now I know I won't be able to, to sleep. Like, how will Kerry feel about that after yesterday? Will they're still big bookies' favourites there. I think they're 4 to 9, Mayo are 9 to 4. So the bookies don't really think. A whole lot's changed after yesterday, but it feels like it has, though. Yeah, it does because the other thing is that, like, let's say Roscommon had the scrape through, would they go up thinking they could beat Kerry in Crow Park? No, probably not. Like, definitely not. Mayo absolutely. That's one of their greatest strengths. Is they absolutely believe every time they play anyone that they're good enough to win it. Um, and as you mentioned already, that the, the hard running game that they can play that will be even better when Lee Keegan's back in the team. Uh, has hurt Kerry and will hurt Kerry so they're going to have to deal with that Tomas O'Shea was saying actually in his column this morning that in some ways it was a good result for Kerry because it will ground them completely mm. they'll realise that they're going into an absolute war now in two weeks time and that will you know just focus minds so look it, 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 Kerry are still in the box seat in that game but geez, if you're Mayo you're absolutely underdogs going into a semi Ireland semi-final that'll suit them down to the ground yeah, and even on that, like if if the Rossies had of of got over last weekend and Kerry were playing Roscommon, as you said, before they even get anywhere near the main road up to Dublin from Roscommon, they're already bet. And Amos Morris would not want that because that means Kerry's going into an All Ireland final against Toronto or Dublin without even being anyway breaking a sweat. But now, if they do get over Mayo. They're, they're really primed for a big performance in Ireland final. So I think it's great in a way for Amphans Morris. Like, yeah, for the Kerry players, they need to realise, right, we're in for a, a serious battle here. Um, but like I said, I just think Mayo are, are in a really, really good position. And the running game, like most people say, quick ball, they kick ball into the forward line, but not Mayo. Like the aggressive running now, Colin Boyle and Key Higgins. And them boys are in the 30s, wouldn't they be at this stage? Oh, yeah. Well, and their oh, fitness yeah. level, just boom, boom. Lee Higgins to come in there. I'd delight to see Tom Parsons get a start. I think Tom Parsons is a very underrated player. Um, he's a great worker, great man to catch a ball. Shamey O'Shea had his best game of the year. Aidan O'Shea was in a world of his own. He made. He made the, the Rossi boys look like under 10s for hot balls. I've never seen anyone catch a hot ball as, as high up in the air. Like Whatever he's done in the basketball off-season, it's working for him. Uh, Dermot O'Connor still isn't really finding form. He, he, but we know he's good. Andy Moore is still in form. So they're all hitting form the right time. So it is teed up to a, an unbelievable semi-final. The, the other thing I think is really interesting is that like for, for weeks now we've been talking about the fact that Dublin and Kerry have had a new wave of talent which has pushed the team on which is all well and good but now you're going to have a situation where 
and we've said that by way of contrasting to Mayo, that they found it hard to bring players through onto a team that has been there for so long. But now in a once-off war, you have a very young Kerry team or a Kerry team with a lot of younger players in it in comparison to the team that they've had over the last 10 years in a war against Colin Boyle and Lee Keegan and uh, Keith Higgins and Andy oh, Moran. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you just don't know. They haven't, you know, they haven't played at this level. They haven't won at this level yet. Um I know they won their All Ireland. Like some of those players were around. Paul Murphy obviously was around, but Tyke Morley and a lot of these fellas, um, and even as an inside pairing, like we're all salivating over James O'Donoghue and Paul Ganey. But you know, we still don't know. Like they still haven't won an All Ireland for Kerry together. So no, like 2014, they, that was the full forward line. Donny Ganey. Yeah, you know, like they're, like they're back to that now. Like, but like you know, this Kerry team hasn't kind of a lot of those younger players haven't won this battle yet. You know what I mean? And it'll be interesting to see how they react against them. I'm not talking up. You know, Mayo from this I still I'm convincing you. Everyone, I'm convincing you. Everyone, yeah. I, it's working, yes. We've slowly turned across the course of the podcast. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining this week to Rory, to Dunica, to Connor, and to Alan and Brendan for chatting to us earlier. That's it for the throwing. You can get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or independent.ie. We'll be back next Monday to review all the week's action. So until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>